Hey, tennis fans, you're listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we are past our Grand Slam tennis season into the fall calendar season. Mike, we have Davis Cup action to talk about, and you touch base with a Canadian slash New Zealander Grand Slam champion, Aaron Redliff. Yeah, always great to have a Grand Slam champ on the podcast. And what a great story, Erin Routliff. I mean, her and Gabby Dabrowski, uh, fantastic for Canada and for both of them to capture their first women's double slam. And, and just so interesting because Gabby, to be honest, kind of surprised that it hasn't happened yet. She's been in the mix. She's been in finals before. And for Erin Routliff, like what a rise over the last year or so to really establish herself as a top level doubles player on the WTA. And this really solidifies that. And always fantastic to have a slam champion on the podcast. I, I meant to go through some of our previous years and seasons and see how many Grand Slam champs have we had on Matchpoint Canada and didn't quite get around to that. But we've had a few of them for sure, right? Oh, definitely. There's, uh, I mean, Andy Roddick, Renee Stubbs come to mind just off the top of my head. But we've uh, we've had more than that. I'm I'm sure of it. It's Jimmy crazy. Connors. Yeah, Jimmy Connors. Recently. Of course, Medvedev, a recent interview as well. Um but yeah, I mean, look, we, we've talked about it at length, I think, of maybe some struggles Canadian tennis has had over the course of the year. So the significance of a big U.S. Open win with Gabby Dabrowski alongside Aaron Routliff, and you touched on it in the interview that we'll get to in a moment, of how this is a pretty newly formed partnership, and it seems like it's just meshed so, so well. And, and I feel like Canadian tennis really needed this. You know, like not yeah. to over dramatize things because usually I feel like I'm pretty upbeat. We're both pretty upbeat about how things are going here with our tennis players, even when it isn't the greatest. But but this year has been quite challenging uh, in singles, even in doubles, as as Aaron mentions to me in our interview. But I think this puts some some positive spin on the season, bringing a Grand Slam title home to our country in doubles. Uh, and between that and recently, we'll talk to you about it a little bit later, the Davis Cup results for the men um I'm, I'm feeling a lot better uh even though we'd love to see our players individually in singles competition too have more success but but this is a nice boost and a reminder that in team competition in doubles competition you know there's uh, there's a silver lining here i think for canadian tennis yeah definitely uh we'll, we'll get to that davis cup chat let's get to your interview and conversation with uh u.s open doubles champion aaron routliff This week on Matchpoint Canada, we welcome back one of the top doubles players in the world. And the proof is in her recent win at the U.S. Open, where she captured the first major title of her career alongside Gabby Dabrowski. Erin Routliff, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much. First of all, huge congrats for winning your first Grand Slam title. What a momentous occasion for you, your your family, your team. Has it sunk into you at this point? And, and what does this accomplishment mean for you? um I don't think it's fully sunk in yet I think you know obviously a little bit more than like the last couple days and like immediately after people were asking me and I was kind of like not really at all I was still like a little bit I don't know just in la la land about it um yeah it means everything I think you know this is why I started playing tennis and like what I've been working for since I was a little girl so um yeah, it just means like so much. And I'm really, really excited and, you know, excited for the future to try and continue to have the same success, I guess. I mean, we've been following your career for a long time. I spoke with you last time you were on the podcast about watching at the Tevlin Challenger here 
in Toronto. And I mean, look how far you've come in a relatively short amount of time. This must be so rewarding for you after all the work, um, you know, the, the grind through these these tennis seasons, challenger level, working your way up, working your ranking up. Um, it must be so rewarding for you. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I uh, obviously with all sports and all jobs, I mean, there's highs and lows. Um, I think with tennis, it's maybe a little bit heightened because you have to lose every week. Um, so, and I was losing a lot this year. <laughs> I was not having a great year. So I was really like, you know, struggling and just trying to stay the course and keep going and, you know, surround myself with people that believed in me. And obviously Gabby's one of those people um, because she agreed to play with me. She was also not having um, one of her best years. So I think together, like we've been, we were struggling separately and we both kind of knew that. And uh, yeah, to just come together and make this happen is like a little surreal, if I'm honest. <laughs> I mean, it's been a tough year for Canadian tennis in, in general. And Ben and I always refer to you clearly as a Canadian tennis player, which you are. But there's obviously <laughs> the Kiwi-Canadian combo, which we discussed last time you were on. Um, I love that story, by the way, of your parents sailing around the world. So cool. <laughs> um, anyways, no need to get back into that. But it's been a tough year for Canadian tennis in singles, as you just admitted, in doubles as well for you and for Gabby. Um, this was really such an uplifting moment, I feel like, for Canadian tennis fans who were sort of looking for something to cling to in terms of positivity from the results. Um, do you feel it as a as a Canadian tennis re result as well um, for you alongside Gabby? Yeah, of course. I, uh, you know, obviously doing it with Gabby, I've known her for years and all like idolized her growing up you know she's like a few years older than me and then also when I started playing on the double circuit and she was always so successful with like multiple different partners I always thought that was so impressive um and she really she really is flying the flag for Canada in doubles like ever since I think kind of obviously you know Layla's an amazing doubles player and then Sharon Fitchman when she was playing as well and then there's a few men as well, but she really is like the consistency, I think, like consistently up there at the top for Canadian tennis. Um, and yeah, I think I definitely, um, obviously I am Canadian as well. I obviously compete under New Zealand and um, super proud to fly that flag, but I, I'm, I like, I have the Canadian connection as well. Um, so it's also nice. It's, been nice playing with Gabby because she'll have like all the Canadian fans like cheering for her and like at the same time they're kind of cheering for me <laughs> and I'm without even knowing it and I'm just like oh that's awesome but yeah no I definitely you know I mean I think a lot of people know my story by now and know that I'm also Canadian um I so, wish yeah, they could put the Canadian yeah. flag like in brackets on the scoreboard so that casual fans knew that you were one as well you know <laughs> Yeah, you have to be a real tennis fan to know those. That's what I think of. I'm like, if you know that, that means you really follow tennis. So it's very impressive. <laughs> there you go. So, so you talked about how you looked up to, to Gabby, and I think you touched on that the last time we spoke as well. Um, how did it come to be then that the two of you would join up as doubles partners? Can you kind of walk us through what the process was like back in the spring, early summer, when those initial discussions, I guess, must have happened? Or had you talked about this for some time and finally the right moment came for the two of you to try it out? No. So we both just kind of, we both had split up with our previous partners around the same time. Um, and I, you know, I just reached out and I was like, Hey, like, you know, I would love to play with you, blah, blah. It's, it's kind of casual how, how it all works. You just like text 
talks to people most of the time. Or like, I guess sometimes the coaches talk to each other, but for us, I was just texting her. And then, you know, we had a nice long chat about what we were looking for, like what we liked, what we didn't like, um, you know, coaches, the way that we learn, the way that we work, all that stuff and goals. And it kind of like it lined up well. And so we thought, oh, we'll give it a go. There's yeah, it's it's pretty casual how it works. But yeah, that's what happened with us. Had you ever played together before? I'm assuming you practiced together, but ever played on the same side of the court as Gabby before this uh, this summer? No, we've never played together, no. So the first few tournaments, there was definitely progress happening, it seemed like. But then this is such a giant leap forward for the two of you in terms of what? It was only your fourth tournament together as par- partners. Um, are, are you surprised by how quickly things meshed for the two of you and, and what happened in New York? definitely a little surprised I don't want to say like fully surprised because you know like there's like years of hard work that's been like behind the scenes kind of stuff but yeah as far as like us meshing well quickly um I think you know playing with a lot of different people sometimes partnerships work naturally and sometimes you have to work a little harder for us like with our game styles it was like really really natural I think um we were setting up each each other up well and so we could both kind of feel that this in the future could be like a successful partnership um I don't think either of us thought that it was going to be like that quick that that we would do that but um I think I think uh yeah I don't know we're really open with each other we've said it we've said it before like that probably the number one reason why this happened is because we're really honest with each other just about kind of everything like if we're on the court and like I feel something um there's been like previous times when I'm playing with someone I feel like you don't want to give everything not give it away but you just don't want to be like completely vulnerable with them because you don't want to make them more nervous kind of thing and with us like it's really open and we'll we'll just say exactly what we're kind of feeling and then at least we know how to help each other so I think maybe that's maybe that's why it happened I don't really know the stars really have to I feel like to win a grand slam like the stars really have to align for two weeks like we could have very easily like we lost um, we lost the first set in our first round. In our second round, we were down to breaking the third set. Like we just always like kept fighting. We never really gave up. But yeah, it's obviously in the quarters we were down seven two in the ten pointer. Like things like that that just happen when stars align. Like there's totally, I don't think there's like a reason for it. But obviously, I'm happy it did. <laughs> obviously meant to be. Uh, at what point during that run in New York did you feel like? hey we've got like we've really got a shot at this here no never I never let my I never let my mind go to that point um because yeah I don't know I just to think about like the the outcome of something before kind of just gets me a little just a little nervous Mm -hmm. um so the first time I actually thought about it was like when it was match point like when it was like 1540 and I was like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah I really tried not to I was just like process 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 we were both like saying that to each other and like we were kind of like okay well we'll be in this position again so like this is not end all be all like let's kind of just focus on the way that we're playing so right on that's in my head that's why yeah (laughs) okay I'm I'm impressed that it didn't creep in before that like at least stepping on the court for the first grand slam final or something like that or the night before as you're trying to fall asleep I mean for me that would have been uh yeah overwhelming yeah. for sure um yeah I, I loved your speech after the win on court both you and Gabby spoke so nicely and so genuinely 
Um, and, and the way that you thank Gabby for for taking a chance on you, I think is how you phrased it. Um, what, what did you mean by that? Um, I think with any partner you play with, they really, they do have to take a chance on you and they have to believe in you. I think, you know, specifically with, um, with Gabby this year and the way that I'd been, I'd had like just a really tough year and I didn't really feel like, you know, I'd shown really the results that I wanted. I felt like I was playing really well and I was kind of like, Hey, when's it going to come? And I was working really hard, but I just was like, Oh, like it's not, nothing's hitting. And so she obviously had to look at things other than results and ranking, which in this life is really hard to do and is really important. You know, like you could say, Oh, I want to play with that person, but if they're not ranked at the spot that you can get into tournaments, like it doesn't really matter. So it's really, really important. Obviously with her, she was ranked really, really high. I mean, for her, I guess it's not as high, but I think she was still like 20, 25. Yeah. Very high. So we could get into the tournaments that we wanted to play and still get a chance. I mean, she could have played with someone higher um, and been seated at these tournaments that we played. Like I think, I think us open, we barely were seated at 16. Um, And that was only because we won a few matches like in Montreal and Cincinnati, but you know, at those other tournaments, she could have played with someone that was higher and been seated and like ensured herself, like whatever it is, a buy, like a easier draw, if you want to say something like that. But yeah, so that's really all I meant. I mean, she, she, yeah, she did have to take a chance on me. And, and uh, yeah, like I said, I do appreciate it, obviously. Well, well, and and she said also afterwards, how, you know, thank you for taking a chance on her. It goes both ways, right? Obviously on some level. And I think it's a great story about how, like, don't be too concerned about the number next to someone's name. I mean, you're a top-level doubles player, too, so it's not like you're down there. But, like, what does it matter? You can have two top seeds and it, your top-ranked players. It doesn't necessarily translate. It's about chemistry as well and, and how you mesh, and you two clearly have that. Um, sometimes after you win a tournament, you, you don't have a chance for a celebration because it's on to the next one. But I think with the gap in the uh, schedule there, did you and Gabby get a chance to properly celebrate the the big win afterwards? Yeah, luckily we, um, cause we were meant to go to San Diego, but we were both just like a little, obviously exhausted, a little beat up and we were like, okay, no, we're not going to San Diego. Um, so we had like five days before I flew here, which <laughs> seems like enough time, but it also seemed so quick at the same time. <laughs> um, after the match, we went out for dinner, like family, friends, teams. Um, that was really nice just to like, you know, for it all come to something. And then we didn't really do much. Like we had a few drinks and then we went to eat cookies and went to bed because we we were just so, so exhausted. I think we we all just wanted to go to bed. Like it's just so mentally exhausting and even watching. I mean, you know, like if you care about a team winning, it's like really, really tiring watching them. So mentally draining to, uh, to be part of the team too. Yeah, exactly. So then, and then the last five days I've just, just rested really haven't done very much so but it was really really nice to rest and now I'm you know ready to go again for sure I'll bet do you think when you step back on the courts you two are seated third I believe in this upcoming 1000 tournament is there like I don't know like a weight I don't use too many cliches like a weight off the shoulders do you feel when you step out there there's going to be a level of of swinging even more freely given what you both just accomplished I'm not sure I think maybe a little bit just because you know we're happy with like the result we just had but also at the same time now there's like a target on our backs, you know, like everyone's going to be wanting to beat us. Not that they weren't wanting to beat us before, but I think it's like a little bit more now. Um, 
and you know, I think you see a lot of the time when people have good results, there's like a little bit of a, like a hangover situation where you're like, you can't kind of get it back. So, I mean, we're, we're like aware of that, I think. And we're still completely focused on like the process. And we, I think we still both believe that our, like our best tennis and our best results are in the future. So I think we're just going to try and continue with what we were feeling and thinking before. And hopefully it works. <laughs> yeah. When we touched base before the open, I was kind of reaching out just to find out like, Hey, how long is this partnership forecasted to, you know, is it a short-term thing, a summer thing or beyond? And you had said even before the open that uh, to the end of the, the calendar season, does this make you hopeful that uh, you and Gabby are going to be playing together even beyond that, given the success now that you've had? <laughs> um we haven't talked about it um but i i yeah i i obviously would love to play with her and i think um yeah it's we always i think most of the time you talk like maybe at the end of the year or something like that so we're still set for the rest of the year and obviously we'll play everything like we're gonna go, go here tokyo and then to china so there's still like a lot of tennis left to be played and then we'll probably have a conversation about next year WTA finals maybe has that entered into the the mindset perhaps as a goal <laughs> I had not I, I hadn't even thought about it but then like I was asked a couple times about it and I was like oh okay obviously you know that's a goal for every team it's really late for us to like have started playing together and like still make it um so I think if we do make it if we have some good results in the next like month and we do make it it's kind of like a bonus because right. it wasn't like on the forefront of our minds at all um so yeah, we're not, I don't think we're thinking about it much. Obviously if we make it amazing and we'll be so happy to go, but yeah, we're just trying to focus on like week at a time, I think. Yeah. Well said. Uh, hey, my last question before I, I let you go here and uh, and get ready for your practice and my co-host Ben, who couldn't be here, he's going to make fun of me for this because I love asking this question, but I'm always curious, where do you keep the trophy or maybe you haven't found a spot for it yet? Where will you keep the the trophy? Oh, that's a good question. It's like a mini version of the big one that we took photos of. Right. It's not like gaudy. It's not going to be like ugly. Because the big one, I feel like is a bit large. Like you couldn't put that in your house. Mm -hmm. I think I'll probably, um, I have an apartment in Montreal with my sister. And so I'll probably just put it there. Like the last couple of years, the ones that I've had, the few trophies that I've had, I just put them there. And yeah, I probably will just put it there. And then long term, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Where is it right now? Are you bringing it with you? Is it in your like uh, luggage or what? <laughs> no, it's in the mail. It's shipping to my apartment. <laughs> Got it. So hopefully your sister's there to receive it, I guess, when they drop it off, eh? Yeah, that would be a disaster if she didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Better give her a heads up. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, I was re-listening to our first chat earlier today, um, which was from April 2022. So it's amazing how time flies because it doesn't seem like that long ago to me. And one of the things you said that struck me in particular was when you told me how much you wanted to be like Gabby one day. And uh, I just want to say, I think it's safe to say that you're you're very much like Gabby. And uh, the fact that you both became first time women's doubles slam champions together is so amazing. So congrats again. Um, thank you for taking the time today and continued success and happiness uh, for the rest of the year. Oh, that's so cute that I said that. Thanks so much. <laughs> There you have it, Mike's conversation with Aaron Routliff. I, I love how just kind of playful she is throughout. Uh, seems like she really enjoyed the chat. And I, I mean, I was mostly struck by 
how important it was for she and Gabby to have what she talked about, sort of honesty and transparency on the court about how they were feeling and what a difference it made for them, particularly in their U.S. Open run. I found that really interesting. It was quite a contrast between how she spoke that they were just, yeah, very verbally like blunt with each other on court in terms of laying it all out there and being so honest about, you know, what are the challenges? What do we need to do here? And yeah. not really holding anything back, which is curious that she says in some partnerships, you, you end up doing that, but not with Gabby. So that's neat. But then contrasting that with how casually their partnership came up, how she's just like, yeah, we were just kind of texting and, and that's how it happens these days. And it kind of makes me feel like, well, how did doubles partnerships come to be in the past? It all had to be in person. You couldn't just text someone and do it through uh, through messaging. And uh, and how I guess today that's the norm with so many things in society, um, not just how you find your doubles partner. But thank goodness they did because um, you know probably not either one of them would have ended up with that title if they hadn't found each other and and meshed the way that they did. And um, I, I also found it uh, very revealing how she mentioned not that it was an accidental win, but but how along the way in a Grand Slam tournament, especially in doubles where you play that 10-point tie break in the third set, um, how it almost didn't happen and how they were down 7-2 to in the 10-point tie break in the quarters against Leilani Fernandez and, and Taylor Townsend. So what a remarkable few minutes and how that would have changed and shaped. I mean, really for Erin especially, it altered the course of her career given that this is the first big-time um, you know, result for her like this in doubles. Absolutely. And I mean, we talk about tennis being decided on a matter of points. I feel like that's even more elevated on a doubles court where breaks of serve can be hard to come by. Uh, you see a lot of dominance and quick points getting finished off the net uh, that, yeah, just those tiny little momentum swings can, you know, not only alter the course of a match, but yeah, alter the course of a tournament. And that's definitely what happened with Aaron and Gabby, who, uh, as she mentioned, uh, faced some deficits deficits throughout. And you even look back to their battle actually with Layla Fernandez and Taylor Townsend, that quarterfinal, what a thriller match that was. It went to 10-8 in the super tiebreak. They were very much up against the crowd who were heavily in favor of Layla. And of course, the American Taylor Townsend course, lost the first set there. So, uh, you know, that was such a huge difference maker to come through that match. And sometimes when you get through sort of, you know, tribulations, adversity like that, it just makes you stronger as the tournament goes on. And isn't it amazing that they could qualify potentially. They're going to be in the mix in the running for the WTA finals mm -hmm. um, later this year, considering they've only played four events together. So that's pretty fantastic. And that would follow in the footsteps of, well, I mean, Gabby's been there before, but Sharon Fishman was there a couple of years ago too. So yep. Canadian doubles is definitely, and you, you know, has been on the map for ages, Daniel Nestor um, uh, as well, first and foremost, but uh, yeah, we got the doubles players. If we could just get the singles players kicking along too, that'd be great. And I want to mention, and you know, just as we close off and move on to other topics here, what, what a wonderful individual Aaron is as well, that at the end of the conversation, when we stopped recording, my daughter was in the room and, and she wanted to say hi. And Aaron was like, totally cool with that. And, chatted with her about her gymnastics and how Erin used to be a gymnast before she got into tennis. And um, it was really special for my, my seven-year-old daughter. And, and those are the moments that, um, you know, inspire kids to want to maybe pick up a racket, play a little bit more, be interested in a certain athlete and uh, love to see that from, from the athletes. And you know what? Most of our Canadian athletes are, are just like that too. Yeah, they, they really are. So uh, nothing but positives to say about Aaron Routliff. Uh, nothing but positives to say about Canada's Davis Cup team. If we look back on the week they just had uh, winning Group A, and like we, we talked about it going in, 
Uh, Denis Shapovalov was on this roster. There were question marks. Is he going to play or not? He did not play. Felix Ojaliasim was unavailable, and we were looking at a squad ultimately in singles led by Gabriel Diallo and Alexi Gallarno, two very promising young players who don't quite have the experience of Davis Cup. They've been there before, but they had never played uh, matches of this much importance. So for Gabriel Diallo and Alexi Gallarno to lead Canada in victories over Sweden, Italy, Chile, Gallarno defeating Lorenzo Senego, Gabriel Diallo getting the best win of his career, beating Lorenzo Musetti. I mean, what an incredible performance from this team. And I got to say, and, you know, I don't mind saying this, um, but, Clearly, when I saw the roster and who would be playing and who wasn't going to be there, and then when we saw that Chapo wasn't going to be playing, not a whole lot of optimism. And, yeah. and that's not a knock on Gallerno and Diallo, but they're so young and inexperienced. And especially with the Italians, I mean, that was a, a very solid team that they were up against. This is not the result I expected. And and we wouldn't have given them a knock either if they hadn't been able to do it. So for those young guys, along with Vashik Pospisil, let's not forget how clutch he has always been really following in Nestor's footsteps, you know, being the doubles anchor now, but he can also do it in singles when needed. Um, what a great win for the veteran and the two young guys uh, to be able to do that with Chapo not able to go, Felix not there. And, you know, the other thing is, even if Chapo and Felix have been playing, Felix hasn't exactly been lighting it up. He's been beaten by by many players that are ranked far lower than than Sonego and, um, and Musetti as well. So mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee that if Felix was there, he would have had any easier time of it. So kudos to our young guns. And uh, again, as I said earlier, just some great Canadian tennis news. And and now they get to progress and, and move into the final eight. And I think that's more than we expected given the roster, even though they're defending champions. Um, so, you know, great work, Team Canada. Yeah, for them to win uh, eight of nine matches. And I kind of look back to the National Bank Open and the performances there by Diallo and Gallerno. And in a way, view that as a stepping stone because Gabriel Diallo there getting his first ATP main draw singles win, beating a player of a caliber of Dan Evans, beating a top 25 player. I mean, what does that do for one's confidence? It tells you you can, can compete kind of at the highest level and you're ready. So that was so huge, such a breakthrough. And even Alexi Gallarno in his first round match playing Francisco Sarundolo, fantastic top 30 player. He oh, he was three, so close. He was so close. He had a three-love lead in the third set. And I, I think he learned a lot about himself and his level that he can also compete at the highest level and play with these guys. So they're carrying over that belief from how they played in Toronto uh, to do it here on the Davis Cup stage. And I really think that team environment and atmosphere really helped them as well. And and who's to say what the ceiling is for these guys? And nor does it matter right now either. They're young professionals learning the ropes and they're making great strides already. But you know, for Felix, who I think is is going to be a top 10 guy, you know, last week we had Mike Cation on and he said he sees Felix definitely going back to the top 10 next year. Says, buy all the Felix stock that you can. Dennis is a top 25, top 30 guy. Um, it's nice to have that depth as well that's that's coming up there. Uh, you know, we're not a big country like the United States. We don't have 330 million people in our country, not to mention however many tennis players they have as well. We're never going to have that um, consistent presence inside the top 100 of, of having 15 to 20 players there like they do in the women's and men's game. But this is nice to definitely add to our talent pool and again, encourage people to get into tennis, encourage Canadians to pick up rackets. And and that's what happened with Felix and Dennis. You know, they saw the, the success that Milos was having 
and and they decided that hey we could do this too and i think players like gabriel diallo and and alexa gallerno are, are going to be seeing dennis and felix and what they do and be inspired by them and and it goes on and on and on so it's nice to have that i don't know for lack of a better term like succession planning that we're seeing happening before our eyes right now yeah, very well said. And uh, I should mention as well, Gallerno getting a win over Alejandro Tabilo, who plays for Chile. He was born in Toronto, so he actually has shared nationality, Canadian and Chilean. Uh, and he's been ranked as high as number 64. So another nice victory there. Uh, Canada, one of eight to reach the final eight for Malaga, Spain later in November. Also getting through that group, Italy. Group B, UK and Australia advancing. Uh Great Britain getting a big win over France on the final day. Czech Republic and Serbia advancing in Group C. And I just want to note this. Novak Djokovic, fresh off his 24th Grand Slam singles title at the U.S. Open, uh, making the trip to play for Serbia and getting a singles win over Alejandro Davidovic Fakina. I was just really impressed by his commitment. Uh, to make that trip and compete for his nation after surely feeling you know, mental and physical exhaustion after a long two weeks in New York. I mean, forget just being a U.S. Open winner, recent winner, and, and making the trek to do it. How many guys who didn't go deep at the U.S. Open chose not to play Davis Cup for their respective countries? So yeah, it speaks volumes when you see someone like Novak who, who's doing it. It means so much for him. And another guy as well, Andy Murray, who played and got a win on the day that that, that his grandmother's funeral uh, was was taking place. So emotional, but again, speaks to what it means to some of these guys to represent their country and for guys like Novak, who's obviously at the peak of his game still at the moment, uh, who knows when he'll come down from that. And a guy like Andy Murray, who used to be a number one slam winner, but still competes for the love of the sport. Uh, they're only going to get so many more cracks at playing Davis cup, even Novak, let's be honest, he's not going to be played till he's in his mid forties. So I, I think it just speaks volumes to um, they want to make the most of these opportunities while they still have it. And, you know, for great Britain and for Serbia, no complaints there for sure. I should mention the one huge upset and real stunner, I would say, of the week. Finland taking out the United States with a clean 3 nothing sweep. U.S. is out. Uh, so they were eliminated, not advancing a Group D, and Finland getting through to the Final Eight for the first time ever as a nation. Otto Vertanen saved two match points and beat Mackenzie McDonald. And then Emil Ruzavori, who's the strongest Finnish player right now, uh, defeating Tommy Paul 7-6-6-4 before the Finnish squad also won in doubles. That's a shocker to me. Well, you know, the U.S. had a great time at the Open in New York with Coco Goff winning. <laughs> they did. And on the men's side, having several in the round of 16 in the quarterfinals. So while I was lamenting the fact that no Canadians went deep in singles in New York, but now we're having the Davis Cup success, I suppose the opposite also holds true for our, our neighbors to the South. No offense intended to our many American listeners, by the way. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Uh, if we look ahead to some tennis this week, uh, I mean, particularly on the women's side, we have the uh, Guadalajara Open happening. A uh, few Canadians in the field. And as we record, actually, Leila Fernandez already getting a straight sets win over Asia Muhammad and Jeannie Bouchard using a wild card at this event, defeating Renata Zarazua in straight sets. So she's into the second round. Um, nice you mean pickleball couple... pickleball player Jeannie Bouchard? Is that, is that who you're referring to? <laughs> I guess she hasn't officially made that transfer over to her new sport if she's uh, still competing out here and getting a victory. So uh, kudos to But were to you her. worried? I was a little worried when I saw that she was signing on to play pickleball in 2024 that maybe that meant that might be the end for the tennis. You know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, you wonder, is it a similar path to Jack Sock, who I think we saw probably that announcement 
you know, several months ago. And then we do see him at the tail end of the year kind of play his final tournament at the U.S. Open. Does Jeannie Bouchard wrap it up in 2024? I really have no idea. It depends on her commitment level, interest, and in still competing. But you have to think a victory uh, like hers over Zarazua does some something for the confidence to tell her like she can still compete and, and be players inside the top 50, top 100. And add some ranking points from a 1,000-level tournament too, which will be helpful. For sure. Um, and, and you know, it's nice to have this event going on right now. And and I just, I don't know about you. Actually, I think I do know, but we think we both got our bracket, our Tennis Canada bracket challenge picks in mm-hmm. just in time. Yep. Um, although I've forgotten at a couple of events this year, so I'm not going to speak about how low my ranking is in this competition. You know, you, you miss a week, you miss a Masters 1000 or a WT 1000 event. You're kind of screwed in terms of your overall chances compared to the people who are doing it consistently and not missing out. But I've had a blast doing these things, a lot of fun. And uh, I, I wish that they did it for every tournament. Although, you know, imagine how many I'd probably miss then, I guess. <laughs> That's true. I wouldn't mind to do the occasional uh, 250 as well. I should mention San Diego Open from this past week. Barbara Krychikova pulling off the double, winning both singles and doubles. And she defeated Sophia Kennan in three sets. Kennan's seeing her ranking climb back up. She's just outside the top 50 now. And that'll be a tough matchup for Carol Zhao in her opening round in Guadalajara. Krychikova, such an amazing talent that I wish we would kind of see her you know, consistently healthy through the full year. She always seems so dangerous when she is healthy because, you know, she won Dubai earlier this season, French Open champion, and she does it on the singles and doubles side of things. I mean, how many players could we say that about, right? If only they could stay healthy. And even here in our own country, gosh, if only Bianca could stay healthy, if only Dennis and Felix could have been healthy all year long. So, I mean, in tennis, that's how many players, you know, what percentage of the top, I don't know, let's say top 50 are, are, fully healthy at a given moment and it's probably you know quite quite small things considered whether you're dealing with a a nagging little thing that you can get by with like felix did in the spring he just played through it Mm -hmm. um or if you get to a point like dennis where you got to take a break and take a couple of months off but that's the challenge and you wonder what the rankings would be if everyone was just healthy all the time what would the the, you know the true if you want to say or the un you know unedited uninjured version of the rankings look like but of course, that's not a reality, and that's things that you're going to have to play with and sometimes play through the pain, and 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 some players are better at doing that than others as well. Yeah, uh, we do have a huge event upcoming here in Canada for our West Coast tennis fans. Laver Cup coming to Vancouver, Team World uh, versus Team Europe, and obviously an opportunity to certainly see a couple Canadians. And if we just look at the rosters here, as we uh, will have this event on the weekend, Team World will have Felix Ojealiasim as its lone Canadian. And then four Americans with Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul, recent U.S. Open semifinalist Ben Shelton, has joined the roster and also Argentinian Francisco Surrendolo. And then Team Europe featuring Stefano Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev, Kasper Ruud. Uh, so three top 10 players right there. Also Hubert Hurkacz, Gael Monfils, the veteran, and Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who's coming onto the roster, replacing Holger Runa, who's dealing with a back injury. On paper, I actually feel like this is a really close matchup. Yeah, and how many years have we... We've never said that before because in the past you had Federer, you often would have Nadal, Djokovic, Djokovic. has played as yep. well. And I mean, it's amazing to me that uh, the team world actually won it for the first time a year ago. That was quite stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, this year I look at the rosters and I actually feel like team world is perhaps even 
the slight favorite given that you know Rublev and Rude haven't exactly been playing their best tennis this summer overall although Rublev made the quarters of the of the US Open so to be fair he's he's rounding into form perhaps now um but uh, this is a big event and to have it in Canada is super exciting for the first time hopefully not the last time Federer although he's not playing is is going to be there and I, I really am interested to see what the crowds are like. I mean, I think that'll dictate whether it comes back to our country again in in the near future. I'm also interested to see how it performs without any members of the big three actively playing yeah. in the draw. So uh, you wonder if this kind of event has staying power the longer we go with Federer retired, Nadal likely never to play it again. Who knows if we'll see Djokovic there again or not. Um and maybe this will be a moment where Felix can kind of get things kickstarted as well for his fall indoor season where he's got so many ranking points to defend. He really could use a strong showing here in front of his home crowd. Yeah, and look, actually, I, I think it was a springboard for him when he played it last year uh, because he just absolutely took off in the fall after Laver Cup and in Laver Cup in singles, got a victory over Novak Djokovic. And I know this topic is polarizing amongst some hardcore tennis fans of this event being exhibition and do these matches count do they not certainly when you watch it uh to the naked eye it looks like everybody's into it taking it seriously it does have that team environment and these matches do register as official atp matches so they count in your official head-to-head with another player but they don't count for ranking points, right? They but only they count do not for your count, head-to-head. Yeah, they only I've count never for understood that one. I've that one is unusual. It's it's the one sort of separator as opposed to if we were watching Hotman Cup, where that is technically an exhibition and it's not going to show up in your head-to-head against another player. And who really cares if it shows up in your head-to-head? I mean, I don't know. Like, it feels more <laughs> exhibition because it doesn't count for ranking points. They're going to be paid, obviously, yeah. to be there, and I'm sure paid quite nicely. But... Uh, you know, as a player, does that really keep you up at night if you lose a match to someone at Labor Cup and all of a sudden it counts in your head-to-head? Is that a thing? Well, it is the one flex Felix can always say in case he never gets the other opportunity. I have wins over Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic because he'll be a Canadian player who has wins over all of the big three officially. So I'm happy it counts for that reason. <laughs> okay, good point, good point. I, uh, I'm a little bit bummed, I got to tell you, that we're not going to be there. And uh, I, I haven't asked you recently, did you ever consider seriously heading out? For me, it coincides with my son's 10th birthday on Friday. And so there's just no, I couldn't do it. I mean, I, what kind of a jerk would I be if I did that? So we got birthday festivities here for uh, for my, my 10-year-old son, Emmett, um, who listens to the podcast sometimes. So there's my first name drop for him in quite a while. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would have loved to have gone. And if it had been, I feel like any other weekend, I think I would have made that that trek to go and see it live. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, something I wish I could have attended as well. And I I really want to watch a tennis event on the west coast of Canada because even you look back at the tie that we hosted for Billie Jean King Cup in Vancouver, that looked electric. The atmosphere looked incredible. Um, I do really want to experience that just as as a media member. I'm sure it's just as even more fun, honestly, as a fan. But uh, we definitely at some point have to make sure we get out for some West Coast tennis, whether it's Vancouver, BC, or even some of the events like a Challenger in, in Alberta. Uh, it's definitely worth doing because I know we have a lot of passionate tennis fans, you know, uh, across the country. And it's great to see them get their opportunity. I mean, someone was saying to me recently, oh, why did they put it in BC? I'm like, hey, look, this is a big country. We got tennis fans all over the place. Yep. They don't ever get the National Bank open because it's always Toronto, Montreal. 
throw them the international events out on the West Coast. Why why not? Um, One other player who will be there, but likely in a non-playing capacity, is Milos Raonic, who, interestingly enough, when he was here at the NBO in Toronto, kind of was almost petitioning John McEnroe in one of his press conferences and said, hey, someone tell McEnroe to to get in touch because I'd I'd love to go. He's going to be there as an alternate. Um, I actually spoke with him earlier today, and he says he doesn't expect to play. And he also mentioned that the rest of his season is... um, I don't want to make it sound dramatic, but he's not sure what's going to happen next because he has been dealing with a bit of a lingering knee issue since the U.S. Open. So we wish him good health and and I hope that he can end the season on his own terms, maybe get a tournament or two in there mm-hmm. and hopefully look forward to 2024 and, and want to continue to play and, and give it an effort. Yeah, and and look, I, I hope if he's looking at the calendar, if I'm Milos Raonic and I'm looking at the tennis calendar right now, I'm circling the Australian Open for January. That's an event where he's played so well in the past, made numerous semifinals, and I think he would have just a really nice training block leading up to that. So priority number one, obviously, being healthy and staying healthy and getting fit to hopefully play the first slam of 2024, I think would be a great goal for him. Yeah, I'd love to see all of our Canadians on that note healthy and and make 2024 a real sort of bounce-back season and the nice thing is our core four young players have so much time left ahead in their career yeah. that uh, you got to hope and be positive and optimistic that this is just a little blip in their continued development as professional tennis players. Exactly. Well, the tennis season still carrying on. We are going to follow all the action from the Guadalajara Open and Labor Cup ahead on the weekend. We thank our guest Aaron Routliff for this week. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. 